You're listening to IoT Leaders, a podcast from SI that shares real IoT stories from the field about digital transformation swings and misses, lessons learned, and innovation strategies that work. In each episode, you'll hear our conversations with top digitization leaders on how IoT is changing the world for the better. Let IoT Leaders be your guide to IoT, digital transformation, and innovation. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the latest episode of the IoT Leaders podcast with me, your host, Nicole, the CEO of SI. And I'm delighted to introduce Eric Kahn on the uh, podcast today as my guest. And uh, Eric is the CEO and founder of a very interesting company in the IoT space in the U.S., called Leverage. So, Eric, welcome to the IoT Leaders Podcast. Thanks, Nick. It's uh, great to be here. I uh, love your background. <laughs> you know, <laughs> regular and uh, keen uh, viewers of this podcast, break this won't work on audio, but if you are a viewer, uh, it's the first time I've actually used um, a Zoom background, and I chose it in a sad moment because you may or may not be aware, but the U.S. does not allow uh, British visitors uh, to travel. And we just cancelled our trip to the US as a result. And so having uh, the Golden Gate Bridge as a virtual background is the closest I'm going to get to going to the US this year. So this is this is not just a podcast. It's kind of it's the holiday I'm not having, Eric. So we need to <laughs> we need to make this a good one. <laughs> yeah. So you, we're going to talk about asset tracking quite a lot. Probably going to talk about quite a few things here because uh, you and I have been working together for a little while. We know each other. You're very interesting company. But before we get into that. Maybe just a little bit of background for the uh, viewers, listeners, about uh, yourself. I mean, I know I looked at your LinkedIn profile. It says singer, songwriter, musician, and holder of seven patents, which don't normally go together. And now here you are as CEO of an IoT company. So uh, maybe we just start on the last one. Tell us about Leverage and what the company's all about. Yeah, great. Yeah, so Leverage, we just celebrated our seventh uh, anniversary. And so we're on the uh, data and application side, the software side of IoT, specifically in what a class of applications they call low power wide area applications. So those are typically uh, low cost battery powered devices at the edge with some very basic edge processing, but ultimately go through gateways or direct, if it's a cellular, via LTEM or MBIoT to the cloud. We're a software, a cloud-native software company, so we get that data at the edge in the cloud, and then we process it and try to provide uh, business insights or optimizations for typically enterprises. Some of our customers also are enterprises, but they also sell to consumers. So we have a, either a B2B business model or a B2B2B or a B2B2C type of business model or a white label platform. Been doing this for uh, seven years and uh, really um, are excited about kind of where things are we're going. We were really excited uh, at the beginning of 2020, and then the pandemic yeah, hit, and we were like, "Well, we better uh, we made our delay things for a year and see what happens." Um, fortunately, we actually uh, survived and and did quite well during the pandemic, which was nice. And then coming out of the pandemic, we're seeing just increased demand for. IoT digital transformation across all industries. So, so we're really looking forward uh, to the back half of 2021 into 2022, and really seeing some nice growth in the in the general category of asset tracking. So, before we get into asset tracking, let me ask you about that because that is interesting. A lot of people want to know, you know, is there light at the end of the tunnel? I mean, we at SI, you know, same thing. I mean, the whole industry, we 
first quarter, I would say the first two months of 2020 were great. And then we started for us over here in Europe, and you're in the US, you're, you're in Arizona right now, I know, but but normally based on the East Coast. But the in the first two months were great. And then we started hearing that maybe Mobile World Congress would be cancelled and then suddenly bang. But then, you know, that was about, what's that, 15, 16 months ago. And now we're hearing that things are picking up and certainly some projects accelerated during COVID. But we hear about the US, a lot of restrictions have been released, mm-hmm. uh, people are traveling around. And so would you say that, uh, to give hope to the listeners, would you say that uh, you really do see the uh, green shoots, the famous green shoots returning? Yeah, I, I definitely see that. We see it just looking in the, the pace of inbound interest, also outbound sort of uh, welcoming calls, you know, before you would call people or try to set up a meeting and they wouldn't return your calls because everyone right. was really worried right. about now everyone's very interested in this topic. IoT has kind of had a resurgence. You know, IoT, like a lot of buzzworthy things, you know, goes through the uh, you know the ebbs and tides of the hype cycle. And right. I feel like we're on the climbing out of the you know the hype is over. The reality of it is starting to set in, and there's just more demand and curiosity for it because you know you had a pandemic where you had any human labor was at risk. You know, f- from a health standpoint. And you also had CEOs like you and me working remotely from home, kind of feeling out of touch and out of control with their business. A lot of us uh, had typical office environments where you could walk around, you could kind of get data by walking around about what's happening with the business. Well, when you're sitting at home, everything's coming through a Zoom meeting and it's, it's filtered. And you know the general idea of bringing the data to where you are as opposed to you as an executive in any company going to where the data is is now sort of set in and the us has uh, you know they they did a horrible job at the beginning of the pandemic but uh, luckily science uh, you know sort of won the day and you know the two vaccines that we're primarily using here in the states is have done an amazing amazing job uh, they've had a fairly high um, you know, percentage of the population now get vaccinated. The one thing that we do see sort of the side effects of the pandemic is really more on the supply chain for us at this point. So the, the country here is pretty much opened up and uh, you know people are traveling around. There's a lot less mask usage than there used to be. Still some worry about the Delta variant, but that doesn't seem to be affecting day-to-day most business decisions here in the States. It's really just supply chain disruptions. Now, we're a software company, so we're not directly impacted, but indirectly we're impacted because, you know, ultimately we all rely on microprocessors and chips, right? And if you can't get them... You know, because of supply chain disruptions, it slows down your your deployments. Um, the so, deployment, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that, so that's, that's the biggest drag, I think. But I think that's an international thing, not just. It's a global. I can absolutely confirm it's a global thing, and uh, it'll take. Uh, you know, we talk about long COVID, but the the business, the long business tail effect will almost certainly be the component, the supply chain issues, and the component shortages. Uh, but despite that, as you say, you know, we see the same thing: our, our inbound inquiry and sort of lead generation is really boomed. I'd like to think it was because of the IoT Leaders podcast, but I, I, suspect, <laughs> it's more, I suspect it's more to do with the uh, the overall uh, environment. But the but people are still, and I've talked about it before on this show, people are, they're still sort of a little unsure. They need guidance. That's why we call it the IoT Leaders. They, they, mm. they want guidance. They want advice on which verticals or which business processes are the best ones to get the biggest, quickest bang for the buck. 
And you feel very strongly about asset tracking, don't you? I mean, you really believe, you mentioned LP1, Narrowband, CAD-M1, but in particular, asset tracking is the thing that you've honed in on as this is the area that can really make a difference to companies, particularly, I guess, as we now go into this growth cycle that hopefully we're headed yeah. into. Yeah, it, asset tracking, I mean, at its base, it's knowing where a thing, and a, a thing could be a person, it could be a pet, you know, it can be a business uh you know, object of some sort, you know, physical object. And that that's fine and good. Sometimes just knowing where something is, is great because then you can go get it. But where asset tracking really provides a value and you kind of get exponential returns on it is the things that asset tracking enables. And most sun sensors these days, even, even the very inexpensive sensors at the edge that are battery powered, they typically come with some other sensors on them besides just a GPS or some way to get position. So you can get temperature, you can get humidity, you can get light, you can, and all these signals, in addition to the component of time, not only where something is, but how long did it dwell in that place? Right. You know, is it, what is the conditions around where it is right now or where it was in the past? So changing conditions. When you layer in all of that on top of knowing where something is, and then you can constantly know where it is and how it's changing over time, it's very powerful for businesses. Uh, consumers. I like to say there's probably not a, a consumer on the planet, and, and all of us are consumers, that wouldn't like to know where everything that you own personally is at any given moment. I give the example in my house. I have, I know I have three or four hammers in my house somewhere, but I can never find one when <laughs> I want one. So if I had a frictionless easy to use way to just pull up an app or something and see where my hammers were, I could just go and get them, right? That solves solves my problem. But I don't. So I end up going to the local hardware store and buying right. yet another another yeah. hammer. And, and then when and you then put I it in the that. drawer, you find it at right. the back of the drawer, the, the three hammers that you couldn't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's uh, so, you know, and so on a personal level, we all get the frustration of just not knowing where all our things are. Now expand that to a large enterprise with a million or 10 million, you know, business pieces of business equipment spread all over the place. It's a monumental task and it's very inefficient to find where it is, to count it even. How do you know what your inventory is unless you know where everything is? So so asset tracking at its base case seems relatively simple, but once you solve it, it actually unlocks all types of business process improvements, consumer experience improvements. You know, one of the, our largest growing segments within, I still call it asset tracking, but is really what I call service tracking. So you imagine you go to, you know, a tire store and you want to get your tires changed or you're getting, you know, new oil change. That experience for most consumers right now is pretty, pretty old school. You kind of come in, you don't know if they're going to have a place for you. You don't know how long it's going to take. No one knows. Well, wouldn't it be great if you could have like an Uber-like experience where it could tell you, hey, there's an open bay at the store you can pull in. It's going to be 13 minutes and right. you have in your app, your, your car's on the lift, the oil's been changed, come right. pick your car up so that you can, as, as a consumer, can jump on a Zoom meeting if you want, run across the street to Starbucks, get coffee, or decide to wait in the facility. That's just a much better consumer experience than this indeterminate kind of, oh, I might be here 
30 minutes. I might be here two hours. That in the current world we live in is just not an acceptable experience for any consumer. And asset tracking enables the unlocking that data to provide that to a consumer. So you can track the cars on the lift, the, tr- the car has been backed out, the car is going to be done predictively in three minutes based on 10 million cars that just like yours that have been done before you. And I know how long it takes. You can tie it into inventory systems. So that power, when you put it that way, asset tracking doesn't sound very boring anymore. It sounds very powerful. And that's what we're trying to do, again, on the application side. So we team with lots of hardware and connectivity companies such as such as SI to enable that because IoT is an, is an ecosystem play right now where you need, you need sort of the software in the cloud. You need connectivity to get the data from the edge to the cloud. And you have to have hardware that's detecting the environment. So without those three playing together in a very well-defined system fashion, you know, any a failure at any point brings the whole system down. So it's it's a difficult and challenging thing to do, but if you can do it, it's very powerful. It's interesting that you use the Uber analogy because I've always said that you know when Uber uh, was introduced and I first started using it in the US and came back to the UK and telling people, oh, it's Uber. What, what on earth is that? And the way you describe it, people say, oh, well, it's just a taxi, right? And they say, well, and then you go, oh, look, and you show you know your your smartphone screen, the little black car or, or in the car change. If it's a red car, it's a little red car. And then people say, oh, I get it. And, and what they're actually looking at is it's not the fact that it's a car because um, you can call up a taxi. It's the fact that you can track the car and that totally changes the experience. And then you compare that to, you know, I mean, it's getting better, but you compare that to the getting a parcel delivered to your house or mm-hmm. or like when you move house, you move country, trying to work out where your container is with your furniture. I mean, these huge gaps in the where they're not being scanned, where you just just you don't yeah. know where it is. But the other aspect of it is that although from a consumer point of view, it creates an experience, and you will choose that experience because you can decide. I've got four minutes, therefore I've got time to do this before I go out to meet the car. But the from a business point of view, and I think you agree with this, is that I like to test whether you agree with this. One of the things about IoT is to find out where the business outcome in, where's the ROI from a business point of view. And I think what you're saying is the inherent inefficiencies in supply chain, most people don't know is that there's tens of millions, it's arguably of, of inefficiency in supply chains. Yeah. And arguably the biggest nut to crack, it, it's the thing that if you can, as you said, if you can do it, it could free up millions of dollars of, of oh, assets. I mean, you hear like the story that 30% of food is thrown away. I mean, you hear stories like 50% of cost reduction if you could have real-time asset tracking. Exactly. It's actually where the money is, right? Yeah, so, it, I mean, the IoT in general, but asset tracking in particular, you know, the, the kind of foundational things that it does for a, a business is operational efficiency. So that can lower your human capital cost. It can increase safety. It can lower preventive preventive maintenance costs. It can provide inventory, real-time inventory information. So that's just an operational, that's an internal efficiency that you can do. But then we've been talking with this Uber analogy, the customer experience. So if you delight a customer, I mean, Amazon was built on delighting customers, right? So 
delighting customers means giving them a sense of control at every sense of, of their journey, right? And so, you know, we've all now become accustomed, certainly in the U.S. with from Amazon, that you real-time know where your package is. They take pictures of it when they deliver it at your doorstep. You, right. you know, I'll be sitting in my office in my house, which is about 30 feet from where the door where they drop off my packages, and I'll get an email or, or something on my phone, and it'll show my my uh, back porch with the package on it. And I didn't, they didn't knock on the door at anything. So this sort of frictionless way of knowing everything that just drives business for uh, whatever enterprise is have ultimately their customers. So if you, if you do a better job of serving your customers, you're going to increase your top line revenue. Then there's, there's even additional revenue. And this, this is where it really gets interesting for traditional businesses, which are really big adopters of IOT is there's a data play. So, you know, if you're a traditional business and you make, say, windows and doors or some other hard product, your, your current experience with your customer is very distant. You sell them a product, they go away, it's a great product. Maybe 20 years later, they come back and buy it. You have no kind of connectivity with your customer during that 20-year blackout period. If you sell them a connected product, now you're in touch with them 24-7. And you're also collecting data about how your product's used. That right now, you, if you're this window and door company, you have no idea if they're having problems with the sash, whether the glass and you know, the, the glazings, you know, fading, you have no idea. You have no way of knowing. Well, if you're connected to it and you're connected to your customer, you can do real-time product improvements. You can, you can help all kinds of things. And you're collecting data on usage that that data is valuable. So maybe you're collecting data on weather, you know, independently from the fact that you're you have millions of windows and doors all over the world it's this data element that you unlock by when you connect anything that is a valuable asset it's worth potentially at scale worth millions and tens of millions of dollars so there's there's that and then you can also do sort of freemium types of experiences so so we have a customer in the pet care business for instance where you know People, when, when they weren't at home because of COVID, when they're going to a typical office, they would drop off their pet and they would do pet sitting sort of during the day. Well, people love their pets just like their children. They would love to be able to look in on their pet to make sure it's being fed, it's giving its medication, it's getting its walk. Right now, it's just all, well, yeah, they can talk to them on the phone or something, which is very inefficient for the business itself to just respond well, you could just feed that stuff automatically. You can put a tag on the dog. When the dog walks outside to go to the door, it automatically takes a picture, sends a picture up to the consumer so they can see their dog is, is now outside. Or I just fed the dog. That causes a text message back to the consumer. So you can have all this automation, which just makes the customer feel so much happier. And you may even be able to charge a little extra for that that extra experience. And most people probably would pay for it for the pet, especially. So there's all these things. Again, it all comes down to asset tracking at its, at its core value, but there's all this stuff you layer on top of it. And then people get it and they go, wow, that's, that's really cool. That either as a business that saves me a lot of money or makes me a lot of money. So, so let's talk a bit about the uh, tech and we talked about the business case. In fact, I want to link the two together because if you think about uh, the Amazon delivery guy and, you know, Amazon's a customer of uh, SI and, you know, we're all familiar with Amazon Prime, but, but one of the issues that Amazon have is, is because uh, these guys just keep on getting better and better, is that they have about 82, 83% first-time delivery success because if they're delivering to, 
you know, condominium building or a gated community, it's not always that they can actually get in and deliver the parcel. They don't want to leave it on the step and whatever. Yeah. So we help them uh, design a device uh, which will give the uh, prime driver permission to remotely open the door, buzz the door open with their mm-hmm. cell phone to put the parcel in. It's sort of like a business version of Ring, you know, the Ring. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they want the, that to work anywhere. So it's device design, making sure that it works. And then secondly, they want it to work anywhere at all so the idea of a ubiquitous global connectivity where you know we basically are in 99 connectivity by gps coordinates so they have one device for every delivery driver and it will open every gate and so then you can start to go from 82 percent you know into the 90s and although that's efficiency for amazon what it means is the customer satisfaction is that when i'm thinking of do i buy a parcel or something do i buy something off amazon or buy it off somebody else Part of me says, you know what, with Amazon, I know it's going to be delivered. I can see where it is at all time. I get the photograph. I don't have to worry if I'm not in when they're trying to deliver the parcel that the delivery driver is going to throw over the gate. I think we've all had examples of that, you know, with electrical goods. They throw it over the gate or it's rain, the box box gets wet. You know, they can get in, they can put it in somewhere that's dry. So actually what we're seeing is this ability. It's almost like Google, isn't it? The way you describe it is that we can find any bit of information anywhere without knowing where it is. We just have to say what we want to find. And that's in the virtual, uh, digital world. So what we're entering into is... And it's early days, but we can see a way of getting the way you can find every physical object wherever it is just by asking, where is the object? That is, in my view, and obviously in yours, that is even more transformational as being able to find out all the world's information. If you can find out where every product is, providing you have permission, but where everything that you own or or everything that your company deals with, regardless of where it is, the people who embrace that will be so much more efficient and, and deliver so much of a business experience. And it is a – I think we'll look back on that in 10, 15 years' time and say, you know, that was actually bigger than being able to find information through a browser. And we know how big that was. Yes. Yeah. And, and this, you know, technology always, you know, in human, human history, is, you know, we always build on the next thing. So I think for SI, but certainly for leverage, you know, we view IoT, it's still, it's still very early days. There's still a lot of fragmentation, still a lot of complexity from a technology standpoint for IoT, but it is the next big leap forward, sort of from mainframe computing to PCs to web browsing to mobile. We believe the next big leg up is going to be something related to IoT, which is closely tied to AI and ML because you know all the phones we have, we're, we're essentially walking around just creating data all day long, but there's only 7 billion or so people in the world there can be hundreds of billions or trillions of devices, really low-cost devices, and we'll continue to miniaturize them, make them less expensive, you know. And they're all emitting data all the time, even, you know, they don't ever sleep, right? So so that data, that volume of data and that that value and intelligence of that that data provides is going to be even the next level up from what mobile it's, devices it's, provide. It's 80% of it, exactly, excuse me, I mean, I, 
I mean, the data shows that the research data shows of 80% of the data will be at the edge because it's an exponential explosion at the edge, especially as prices come down. We did a previous podcast talking about printable devices and printable exactly. circuit, printable mm-hmm. sensors, printable batteries. You know, you're going to get these things on snack wrappers and clothing and whatever. But it also is a downside because it's a security threat as well. We hear that and you must hear it saying, well, yeah. If I can connect to it, and these are cellular devices that we're talking about, and they're connected to the MNO, if I can connect to it, then someone can hack it. And what, you know, can they tunnel in? Can there be some malicious code? That must be, when you're talking to customers, that, that must be a, a big issue that, that they raise with you. What about the security of the edge fragments? It sounds great, yeah. but then the, the CISO, the chief information security officer, may say, hold on a second, what's our... How can I control that from the center with this? It is. Security is one of the top things on a buyer's mind in an enterprise when they go to scale, when they think beyond the pilot, you know, when it's in a controlled kind of pilot to now it's out in the wild. Anyone could physically, if they can get in, could touch the device, could take it home and play with it, right? So there's your standard things you can do, which is end-to-end encryption. So all data is encrypted, really hard. You can't really crack it, whether it's in motion or rest. So that's kind of the baseline. But on the physical side, and that's where the that's really the sort of the plane <laughs> that you have to be more concerned about with IoT. There's been a lot of work done at the microprocessor level with these trusted modules. Lots of manufacturers now make them, where they generate the private keys inside a device, like a module on the device that is basically can't be tampered with. If you try to scrape it, if you try to unplug it, if you try to do anything with it, it basically zeroes out. So those trusted modules and the provisioning of devices onto a network where you have to match keys and exchange of public-private keys, kind of a lot of things that are done in the software world only, that has been pushed down to the devices so everything that we work on is very, very secure. It's as secure, secure as it can be, both on a hardware and a software standpoint. But unfortunately, there are a lot of, in driving down cost, some other vendors will take shortcuts, whether it's a hardware vendor or a software sure. vendor. And you know, security doesn't come for free. Good security doesn't come for free. So it's trying to balance, you know, how much security do you really need based on the type of device or the, you know, the is it just read-only information? It's just passing information up. Is, is it control involved? So it's two-way. You can make it, you can actuate things. Well, you know, depending on what the level of local control that you're, you're allowing access to, that should basically dictate how much security you should be layering on. Because if you're going to allow something to open a valve remotely, that better be a very secure device. So we really focus on it. We've had our platform sort of gone through multiple levels with different vendors of security, you know, accreditations and penetration testing and all that. And we do that on a regular basis, but we're just on the software side. There's the hardware side has to yeah. also certify this. And from our perspective, we're on the hardware and I would add the network side to it. So our, uh, funny enough, the previous podcast I did to this was with the head of uh, sort of BizDev for uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services in, in EMEA in Europe. And we, you know, we were talking about the work we did with them three, four years ago, which is exactly what you just said, where we developed the ability to put the, uh, the encryption keys and the security certificate directly into our SIM and then manage it from the policy. Because it's a combination of the 
actual security and where it is, and the SIM becomes an eSIM, which eventually becomes an iSIM inside the module. But we also then need a policy engine that says, this is my policy, and so and I want that to be automatically deployed to the edge. So one of the things that we do is that not only just have APN access for encryption, but actually is all data travels over a private network, so we don't use the internet. And then what you can do is you could actually apply, it's in effect like your cellular devices, which might be connected to Verizon or AT&T or Chalice or whoever, your cellular devices are like an extension then of your MPLS network. In other words, it's almost as if every device has an Ethernet port in it. Of course, it doesn't. Yeah. And it goes directly into the back of a router. And, and Because if you, if you have network-level consistency between your cellular devices, regardless of which MNO they're connected to, and that's mm-hmm. what we do, we put it through a private network, and then we connect the private network to the enterprise's private you know, uh, network, then what you can do is you can have your security policy. In fact, we announced this with Armis, who do agent of security. You can have your security policy centrally sense what devices are connected to the network because it's really hard to keep track of them and actually apply a dynamic policy to them because you're you're applying it at the transport layer. You're you're yeah. applying you're doing deep packet inspection on your cellular devices. And so that's a that's what you really want to if you're the chief security officer or the CIO, the CFO who's going to sign off the project, you want to say, can I apply the same security to a cellular connected IoT device? which might be in a moving vehicle or, or on a parcel or, or whatever it is, the same level of security as I can apply to the devices I can see in my office or I've now got on employees' phones. And if you can do that, that a combination of the device with the security certificate handling and the policy engine from the inside to the edge, then I think that's a, that's a model, at least we believe, uh, you need in order to get enterprises to trust the IoT uh, yeah. project yeah yeah absolutely yeah okay let's um we've been going a little while it's surprising you look at the clock and go wow it doesn't time pass when you're having fun we talked i was going to ask you about lessons from the field but the security is uh, clearly one of them one of the top things asset tracking is is a low-hanging fruit that probably has bigger returns for people that uh, than they think which is why you're in it any other major lessons you've learned in your experience eric on um you know, we have a lot of people who listen to this because they're looking for advice and uh, guidance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So whenever we talk to a new customer, we try to be very educational and, and really look at it through a lens of what are their requirements? What, you know, what do they really need to accomplish? What is the ROI? And so one of the first things when when you get to this class of low power wide area LP WAN applications, you you have to choose whether a private or a public network is the right choice. So, private networks what I, what I classify those are where be you know maybe a lot of your listeners have heard of LoRa. So it's been one of the more more popular low cost you know long battery life uh, waveforms and you can stand up a, a lora network relatively inexpensively you have to you know yeah. install some gateways it'll give you about a 2 mile radius around a location maybe a little less depends on terrain and some other things but it has good penetration characteristics it's not super high bandwidth but again if you have if you're trying to say track a vehicle as long as it's staying within we'll say a mile it's fine. It'll track it and you can get connectivity, but it leaves and drives away. 
you're, you're not going to be able to cover it anymore. Yeah. You're going to lose it. Now, for certain use cases, if you're trying to track something within a large factory or campus, maybe that's sufficient. But for a majority of use cases where you have mobile assets, you need something that's going to have widespread coverage, right? And global connectivity in some cases. And that's where the new versions of cellular, the new lower bandwidth, the CAT M1, the NBIOT, sometimes they get bundled into this overarching 5G revolution that we're going through. But however you characterize it, those are really powerful. The costs are coming down, the availability is coming down. And now once you can drive down that cost, it just seems like a much, and, and the battery consumption can be essentially the same because Laura is known for being very low battery consumption. But you know the cellular guys are really catching up quick. And it, it just seems like a better choice. If you can always see where everything is, no matter where it's, whether it's in a local area or not, the cellular growth rates we're starting to see and we're starting to recommend more cellular connectivity one, you get a better quality of service because when you install a private network, you're now responsible for the network, you know, whether it's your customer or... or yeah, a, it's a, it's, a on, it's what's called an unlicensed spectrum. I mean, it's it's, it's, not only that, it's, it's just the day-to-day things where maybe their backhaul Wi-Fi goes down. Maybe they lose power, okay, and your gateway goes out. Well, you don't necessarily have... UPS is on all your gateway things, or a lot of people don't think about that. Whereas the cellular community has been thinking about this for decades, right? They have UPS is at the base of every every tower. They have fallover. They have all they have they have all kinds of things that will essentially keep that network very reliable. I mean, I think if you ask most people, would you say your cellular connection is more reliable than your Wi-Fi connection? I think most people would answer that as yes, because you know cellular's been around for a long time, and they've really focused on making that network very, very you know durable. So when we look at IoT, more and more we're we're telling customers to really look at the the cellular, the CAT M ones, and the NBIoT for connectivity because it's more reliable. The battery efficiency is almost on par now with LoRa. And the costs are really coming down. And why do you want to manage your own network? It's just, you know, you have to get all the software. You basically have to get the core software for LoRa, run a LoRa network server. You have to get the gateways. You have to install them. You have to do all these topology things to make sure you're getting the right coverage map. Just let cellular just take care of that. So, so that's, um, to us, that's, that's one of the biggest growing things. And I think analyst community has also seen that. I've seen a lot of sort of predictions over the next five years that cellular is going to overtake private networks. Yeah, that's what the, the and, yeah. and it just makes sense. You know, it's just yeah. a better experience. It's more reliable. And, you know, one of the things that, and I'm by no means an expert in cellular. I know you know way more than I do, but, you know, as you get into it, there's all, all these different types of modes within cellular. So there's PSM mode, EDRX mode, modes, the EDRX tree. And those become really important, right? And um, knowing yeah. about one, I just recently learning about sort of the nuances of some of these, but being able to, if you have a device, say it's on a tractor trailer that's traveling across the U.S., it's going to go through different coverage areas. Sometimes AT&T might be strong, Verizon and others loses connectivity in other places really remotely. So how do you automatically switch between these networks and also 
preserve battery life so that you're not constantly trying to and, ping it. And you know that, just to explain a little bit to uh, some people who are saying, this is interesting, I want to know a little bit more. Just to explain the, the technical problem that, that, that you're describing there. The problem is it's things like PSM, power saving mode, or the EDRX protocol, which is you need to manage the battery, turn it on, turn it off so it doesn't uh, drain, are often not available on a roaming agreement. Right. Um, that's, that's one of our lessons learned. <laughs> and it's a lesson learned, and it's one of those, I wish I'd known that two years ago, right. because it is available on a direct connect. So if you have a proprietary SIM, it's available, but it's not available on the roaming agreement. In fact, we did a survey, you know, we have 2,000 customers, we did, and we manage multiple networks for our customers, and we did a survey, I think it was 82, 83% of the roaming agreements that we analyzed, uh, and hundreds of them did not support both PSM and EDRX. So, so only one out of five will support it. But the problem is you don't find that out till you're halfway through your project, right? Exactly. And so what happens is that if you go for out of network, say you have a say Verizon SIM in it or whatever, or AT&T SIM or an MVNO SIM, you go out and you hop over onto somebody else's network. If you're roaming, you may find suddenly the, the batteries on all the time. And it's a it's something that's really easy to miss. Uh, in the early stages, because you're only doing a little bench test and, you know, you're not taking it. Or you're in a local area, you're running a pilot. It works just fine. And then you suddenly someone says the battery is supposed to last five years and it lasted a year. And often it's a sealed device, you know, like inside a pallet. And and then you add globally, said, well, how can I make sure it's going to work? What about around the world? And so, yeah, the way we uh, do that is is like we what we do is we localize the connection on on the MNO. So as we hop from network to network, we're localizing. We're, we're not roaming. We're localizing like the Star Alliance. It's right. one one trip around the world, but you're going from airline to airline to airline, even though they're competitors. But you're on the you're localizing the connection, which means you get the full functionality. And it's one of those obscure things that people never ask early on that when you talk to someone who's doing it for the second time and you say to them any tips and what would you do different right one of the most common ones said oh i had no idea how complicated telecom was i had no idea i mean to your point i was talking to collider research or collider intelligence excuse me they're the roaming experts in in the industry analyst community uh, they spun out of juniper research they said, uh, told me the other day, there are less than 10 roaming agreements globally available today for narrowband IoT. Less than 10. Right. And there's 820 mobile network operators in the world. So what that says is, will we get there eventually? Probably. Hope so. But right now, you, if you're going to bet the farm on roaming on narrowband, uh, it's, it was more on Cant M1, but on Narrowband, the real low end, if you're going to bet the farm, then you really need to be an expert on analyzing roaming agreements. And do you want to be an expert on analyzing roaming agreements and managing mobile network operators, or do you want to be an expert on your business case for exactly. providing value to your customers? And so you basically need a partner who understands telecom networks and understands devices, uh, because that's 80%. And, and they're the lessons uh, that we consistently hear. You know, most of the projects that we do are people doing it the second time around. And it's these issues that they smacked against. And it's just a fragmented proprietary ecosystem. I mean, it is what it is. So, I mean, I think that, that I totally agree with you. I think asset tracking is the one. And to me, it's like, 
Google for physical things. Yeah. And I, we have no idea just how big it's going to be. And just like Google was, once you can find information, you can create new business models and new experiences. And there'll be a whole raft of companies that form based on the physical version of Google. Uh, yeah, uh, no, I, I, I completely agree. And, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's huge. Um, and, you know, we're a firm believer that asset tracking will be the first massive scale IoT application focus, if you will, yeah. because, because it is something that everyone would want. Again, if you can get the cost low enough and the friction low enough, every business, every person wants that experience. It's just, can we enable it? You know, and guys like you and me and our companies are working at very specialized portions that all together enable it. So, yeah. uh, you know, this this PSM and EDRX for certain of our audience members may may sound like it's down in the noise, but, <laughs> but when you're a manufacturer and you're guaranteeing your customer five-year battery life and it's eight months later and your battery's at 10% level, now you got to physically go out and replace all those devices. That's not a good experience for your customer or for your bottom line. So That's probably $200, by the way, $200 yeah. on average to touch a device and your customer's annoyed. Exactly. So when you do all your calculations, which you you know we we work with a lot of really talented hardware manufacturers, and they do these simulations of what battery drain is. They characterize every nanoamp that's being drawn from every module on a, a custom board they may make or a, or a commodity device, and they know exactly when it will run out of energy. But they didn't know about PSM or EDRX, so they're they're assuming it's going to go in deep sleep and these certain things. Well, if it doesn't. It throws everything out the door, and it, it can basically ruin well, it, a business it case. It kills the business case because the battery. Business yeah. case. So, um, so the, these details are um, they're very very important details, and uh, you know, luckily there's companies like yours that are really focusing on those details because they're very important if you're going to try to scale an IoT application. Well, that sounds like a good place to finish. Actually, especially because you know IoT leaders. Uh, was conceived to actually help people with uh, to navigate through all the complexities uh, to try and simplify it because IoT is complicated. It's too complicated than it should be. But there, you can navigate through and customers, you know, I mentioned uh, Amazon. It's not just because they've got a lot of resources, but because they, they really have got a very clear idea of the business case. I mean, yep. you can tell people when the parcel is going to arrive they will feel comfortable buying it off you. And yes. we're just, we're just, it's like the Uber. If I know, I order the Uber and I know it's going to be outside and I can track it, I'll feel comfortable because I, and then I, I don't have to hang around, you know. And we're really discovering how these attributes, these soft attributes, actually drive customer loyalty. And, of course, reduces huge amounts of cost for the company yeah. doing it. So it's a win-win. So this has been a great podcast Eric, I think we could have gone on two X over, uh, so we better not do it because people will be saying enough, enough. Um, but I really appreciate the cooperation with you and your, and your company, and I totally agree. I think this is going to be the killer app. If you can find anything anywhere without knowing where it is by asking for it, providing you have the permission, it, that is the one that's going to uh, change the world. So uh, thanks again for being uh, my guest. 
I know you're in a very nice part of the world right now, so it's probably pretty warm, warming up out there in Scottsdale, Arizona in, in July. I, my guess is, what's it going to be out there today? Like 40, oh, it, 40 it, that's in centigrade. Low, yeah, low, low hundreds of Fahrenheit, probably close to 40 centigrade. Oh, that's that's just, yeah. But but it's a dry heat, as they say, right? It's a dry, it's a dry heat. It's a dry heat. That's what they always say. Okay. And so uh, thank you to the listeners for listening. This has been the IoT Leaders Podcast. If you want to get in touch. Uh, well, actually, Eric, I should ask you this question. If, if listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can do that? They could just send an email to eric at leverage.com. The leverage is spelled with all E's. So it's L-E-V-E-R-E-G-E. Dot com. Okay, leverage with all ease.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can uh, send a, a message to IoT leaders at siesye.com or my direct email, n earl, n e a r l e, at si.com. Uh, but this has been a great episode and uh, we got lots of insights and we, we sort of went from high level business, the future of IoT and the killer app, right down to uh, how do you do granular battery life management, which is what you've got to do in this space. Um, so I uh, hope that was useful uh, for the listeners. And thanks again, Eric, for joining me and being my guest on the IoT Leaders Podcast. Thanks, Nick. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. All right, thanks. Thanks for tuning in to IoT Leaders, a podcast brought to you by SI. Our team delivers innovative global IoT cellular connectivity solutions that just work helping our customers deploy differentiated experiences and disrupt their markets. Learn more at si.com. You've been listening to IoT Leaders, featuring digitization leadership on the front lines of IoT. Our vision for this podcast is to be your guide to IoT and digital disruption, helping you to plot the right route to success. We hope today's lessons, stories, strategies, and insights have changed your vision of IoT. Let us know how we're doing by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and recommending us. Thanks for listening. Until next time.